Get your Bibles out, guys. We need to uh, love the Word, and we're going to open the Scriptures this morning. So find a Bible, open your phone, as long as you don't Google all sorts of things on your phone. Focus on the Bible. All right, simple as that. The Lord sees. All right. So nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mother uh, what he had learned in Sunday school. So he says, well, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he got to the Red Sea, he had his army build a pontoon bridge, and all the people walked across safely. Then he radioed headquarters for reinforcements. They sent bombers to blow up the bridge, and all the Israelites were saved. Come on, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught, asked his mother? Well, no, Mom, but if I told it the way the teacher did, you'd never believe it. (laughs) I've got good news today. You better believe it. I've got good news today. I really do feel uh, it's a message of a 1.1 word message. It's a key that will unlock your future. It's a future for yourself, for this church, for this nation, for our troubled world. It's a one word message. And we are so sure about this, Colin and I are so sure about this, that we've called for an evening of, of prayer and focus, uh, 16th, uh, yeah, 16th of August, a Wednesday night, we're calling all our connect groups and discipleship groups, everybody together, as many as can make it from, I don't know, like at 6.30 or something, is that right, 6.30? 6.30 to 8.30 or something, and we're going we're gonna to play a message we want you to hear where a guy talks um, at one of our daughter churches uh, actually in Cape Town, but he talks about his experience of visiting Asbury, where they've recently had a revival. And the thing that comes out of that is the very same thing that God put in my heart that I'm going to preach to you today. Uh, and uh, last week I started opening up Romans 6, you might remember, and I'm pu- pushing on with Romans 6 and into 7 today. And it's a, it's a very significant message. And on that night, we're going we're gonna to hear that again. And we're going we're to say, Lord, how would you have us respond? But before I jump into that, so the, this airplane, there were a bunch of people on this plane. And um, uh, three parachutes and four people, and the plane's in trouble. So the pilot, they've got to have the debate, who's going to get this, uh, these parachutes? So the pilot says, well, it's my plane. And I deserve and I need to get down to explain things. So I'm entitled to one of those parachutes. The science professor says, I must take one. The world needs my wisdom. He takes one and he jumps. So the pilot's gone. Professor's gone. Then a pastor stands up and says, well, it's just me and the student left. But I've lived a long, long time and I have peace with God. And he says to the student, you can take the last parachute. It's a good pastor, don't you think, eh? And the student says, it's okay, Pastor. That professor, he's just jumped with my backpack. <laughs> uh, don't try and get clever in your own worldly wisdom. You've got to get wise by the Word of God. Hey? This, is the, this is the wisdom of God. If you've got a Bible there, hold it up for me. If it's on your phone, hold your phone up. Come on, I want to see that you love the Word. How can you go to war without weaponry, hey? This is the weapons of our warfare, and they're not carnal. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. We have to get stronger in our use of the word. We spoke about the baptism issue. You know, when Jesus was tempted after his baptism and 40 days uh, in the wilderness, when he was tempted and, and tested by the devil, um, he, uh, every time he rebuffed 
the devil's accusations and insinuations and temptations with a scripture. We've said it over and again. If you want to see the devil run, you've got to shoot him with a gospel gun. So how do you go out without being loaded? So I want to encourage you uh, that we actually learn to love the word all over again. And if to do that means you've got to get up, make your bed, and have a cold shower, that's how you start. That's how your meeting with God can start, and you'll be alert to be with Him. Don't meet with God when you're kind of half in dreamland. Engage, engage, and learn to memorize Scripture. I really want to encourage you to do that. It's a, a great practice. Um, it'll help us to be ready for the warfare. So let's go to Romans chapter 6. Remember, and I'm just going to have to recap one part of this. Uh, in verse 1 of Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we say, go on sinning so that grace may abound? And Paul says, may good and in South African English, it means, damn it, no. And so then he says in verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So our identification with Christ, our knowing of what he did, and there's no disputing it. He lived and he died, and it was said by but unbelieving people, even, that they find no sin in him. Authorities of the day said, I find no sin in him. He, is, he, was, he was crucified as an innocent man. Pilate tried to clear his name about that by washing his hands, but it didn't work. Uh, and Jesus gave his life not for himself, but for us. And we know that. So we focus on that. And Israel knew on the night that they were uh, spared from the angel of death in, the, in, in Egypt, the tenth plague. Uh, and they had painted the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their houses. When the angel of death passed through that land of Egypt, everyone who believed that message and uh, accessed the blood. How many can remember singing that old song in our hippie days? I'm going to stay right under the blood where the devil can do me no harm. Eh? And uh, Revelation 12 picks it up and says, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb. Okay? the word of our testimony, and by the consecration, the yielding of our lives, even unto death. Okay? So we know that he died, and he died for us. This is a fact. It's a historical fact. We didn't feel it. He actually did it. Historically, Jesus came and lived a sinless life and was a, a full representation of God in the flesh, God with skin on. And he did it for us. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He paid your ransom. He paid your penalty. He's, he settled it. It's nothing for past, present, and future sin. This is the fact that we, we emphasized last week. And Israel, as they, they took the privilege of that night, they were spared this, the effects of this, this last plague, and they walked through, chased, in a sense, hurriedly out of the land, and they went right through the Red Sea, which represents, according to Peter, baptism. And they came into the wilderness. And last week we talked about some of the hindrances for the appropriating of this new freedom that they had. Because in this, in, this, in this journey of theirs, they discovered getting out of Egypt is a, a quick one night, maybe three days altogether getting out. But getting Egypt out of us, eh? that's a, in their case, 40 years. It didn't take that long, but it did because they had all sorts of complaints and, and issues. And uh, we're very conscious of how that can work out for us. One of the ways that it plays out for us is when we're offended. When somebody's offended, it's normally because something has been, we've like somebody has poked the bear, and your peace depends on other people being kind to you and playing ball with you, when actually 
we need to say with Paul, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. How would Jesus have me respond to that? How would Jesus have me respond to this offense? What, do you, what, is he, what does he want to grow in my life through this offense? We guarantee newcomers that in this church you will be offended. If you don't like being offended, just come as a visit and, and just keep arm's length. But if you want to be, a, if you want to be called to maturity, then you'll have to grapple with the gymnasium of offenses. Hey? You can say enough from time to time. So Romans 6 says, we know. But go on to verse, that's verse 6, but verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let it. You know, as we have control over this. These are not sins that overtake us. And I'll come to the Romans 7 dilemma in a few moments. We'll speak about that. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Do not let it reign. Do not, offer the, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. This word offer is understood as a consecration. Consecrate yourself to God in gratitude, motivated by what Jesus has done, and see your life changed as you apply that. If any Israeli didn't apply the blood and didn't believe in what was given them to, to do and they argued with Moses, they were not saved because every household suffered loss that night except those who took the call of the blood posts, painted doorposts. They were saved. It is so important. Consecration is our response to grace. Consecration is our response to the shed blood of Christ. I want, to, I want to massage that in. Verse 14 says, For sin shall no longer, will not be your master. You're not under law, but under grace. And according to Paul in Galatians, grace, if you're under grace, then joy is the emotion that monopolizes your life. When you've lost the joy, it's probably because you've slipped from grace back under law. What has happened to all your joy, he says to these Galatians? It slipped back into legalism, and they've lost the joy. Joy is the emotion of grace. When you're living in grace, you live with joy. So if, you, if you're all disgruntled because of offense and you spend hours grappling with people and arguing with people, arguing with leaders, uh, and, and there's just uh, all sorts of offenses that are just riddling your life, go back to grace. Go back to grace. Grace will help you. We, we, want, to, we want to massage in this message that the gospel actually helps us to overcome uh, offenses. The gospel itself is offensive to legalists, to people that want everything perfect, eh? and they will criticize, and they will expect, and, and, and they'll want to judge, but Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. So I, didn't come, I didn't even come to judge the world, but to save it. I've come to judge sin, and that I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to pay the price, and sinners will be free. That's what he came to do. Eh? So, I want you to hold on to that. Let's go um, verse chapter 7. I want you to see something. Chapter 7, verse 4. Uh, this is a, uh, a complex chapter for some people. Some people believe, and there are really two schools of thought in Romans chapter 7, that Romans 7 is a, applying Paul again, applying it to his unsaved days, to days when he was not yet a believer in Jesus, when he was still a Pharisee, a legalistic Pharisee, a religious person, but not a, a saved person, not someone who had a relationship with God. And so some people think it's about that. Personally, I don't, and I'm going to give you the reasons why. I believe this is a picture 
of uh, the actual journey of the application of the gospel in our lives. Because how many of you know that when you get saved, there's still some growing to do? When you have a baby, you still got to feed the baby, change the nappies, grow the baby, train the baby, pay for school fees, and all sorts of things, eh? as you grow the baby up on the journey towards maturity. And it's the same with us in Romans 7, is a call to that growth to maturity. That's what it's about. Um, so pick up at verse 4. Some of my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. This is Romans 7, verse 4. That you might belong to another... So if you've accepted Christ, you, you're not your own. You, be, you belong to him now. You've been bought to the price. You belong to God. So why are you so offended when somebody disdains your reputation or something? You belong to God. To him who was raised from the dead. Now watch this, the second last part of verse 4. In order that we might bear fruit to God. Remember chapter 6 talks about that? that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature in the old way of living, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit to death. But now, uh, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. I love what uh, um, Bryden, I think, was reading from, and uh, one of the other guys made a reference to the newness of the new covenant, eh? that uh, we, we set free to, from the law to the Spirit. And Michael Eaton reminded us, a friend of ours from uh, Crisco Church in, in Nairobi, if you follow the Spirit deliberately, you'll fulfill the law accidentally. But if you're going to sit out there, set out to become a, a law-based church, getting everything right, perfect in every way, every relationship's got to be absolutely spot on. Husbands can do that to wives. Wives can do it to husbands. One of the controlling factors in our, in our homes, in our marriages, is one of the most tragic, most common uh, rationale for separating, believe it or not, is this desire for the power, the power struggle, because Jesus uh, has come to set us free from that. But Genesis 3, Paul, uh, God warns us that this is what's going to happen as a result of the fall, that we'll have domination and control factors playing out in our lives. And, and we will find ourselves living at odds with each other, and life will be hard. But g- going on, this, uh, um, in chapter 7, let's pick up with verse 14. Um, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. And he's writing present tense. Uh, okay, he's writing present tense. Or, so I'm saying he is actually writing of his own life at that point, having become a believer, but still on the journey towards growth and maturity. He says, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. So he's acknowledging the land between, the journey between having the righteousness of Christ applied to us and appropriating it in our lives experientially and becoming that by which we are called. Alexander the Great, a great military man, leader of thousands and thousands of people, was held in great awe because of his, uh, the unity of his people and the implicit trust in his leadership and the unity of the nation that stood behind him. Some foreigner came to visit him one day and said, how would I know how faithful your people are? He says, watch this. And he called a bunch of soldiers said, and he gave them orders to march. And they marched one by one straight over a cliff till 10 of them had gone. He turned to the guy and said, you see what I mean? I couldn't believe it. These guys were implicitly obedient. 
Now, I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but all I'm trying to say, so they brought another soldier team from another battle, and they brought him before Alexander the Great, and, uh, and they told Alexander that this guy had been caught being cowardly in battle, treason, almost treasonably so. And um, he said to the soldier, what's your name? He says, Alexander. Alexander looked at him and said, young man, change your behavior or change your name? If you're going to put a fish on your core, drive like what that fish represents. If you're going to carry the name of Christ, then live like a Christian and die to all the other things. Make that your heart's intent. Consecrate yourself to the new way. And don't play fiddlesticks with offenses. It is ridiculously obvious to see that the devil wants to use offenses to take people down and keep you locked up, whether it's in your marriage, your business, your church, wherever it might be. If you carry offense in your heart and you do not deal with it before the sun goes down, you know, uh, make haste to deal with it. Don't, don't delay what you're doing. You're keeping toxicity in your system. And that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt your relation with other people. Huh? So we, we want to dig into this. Uh, let's go on. I want to stay with Romans 7 a little longer. Just, I want you to see a few more things um, in Romans 7. Um, picking up verse uh, uh, 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. Then verse 19, for what, I do, I, uh, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, now hold on to this. Jesus was reported by John, his best friend, as saying, this is why the Son of God appeared, to destroy the works of the evil one. 1 John 3 verse 8. And verse 9 says, therefore, no one who is in Christ continues to sin. There's... There's an abhorrence, a distaste for the continuation, willful continuation of sin. If we willfully continue to, to practice it, we deny that we are in Him. So we need to be urgent in our pursuit of moving through Romans 6, 7, and 8 and becoming the fullness of God. Romans 8 is another whole chapter which actually wraps it all up because it's that amazing chapter about what can separate us from the love of God. And that's where we land. And that's what Paul preached, prays for the churches over and over again, right across Asia Minor, that they will land in the revelation of God's amazing love for them. So he says here, verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this, this Lord work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my innermost being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. So my body is not completely saved. Some of us have got salvation like measles. We've got it in spots only, huh? Some parts of our body are saved. Maybe Job says, I've made a covenant in my eyes not to look with lust upon her. And he speaks of the call to purity, huh? And there's... There's a need for us to surrender the, the parts of our body, every, every aspect of our literal anatomy, but also of the parts of our life, your money, your time, your attitudes, your ways, your mannerisms. There's a consecration is bringing that to him. So the one word, if you ask, somebody asks you, what did Dave preach about today? The word is consecration. Can you surrender? Can you offer the parts of your body? Consecrate every part. Because if Jesus is going to be Lord, and not just Savior, He must be Lord of all. Because Lord means that. He is the one who, who has allegiance from you. 
But watch this, Paul is agonizing in verse 23. I see another law waging at work in the members of my body uh, against the, the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So sin is there. Some people struggle with that. They think, no, but when you get saved, you're free. Well, you have the, the call to be free, but you're still living like the old Baluka. Huh? So it's the difference in theologically, if you want to question this theologically, it's the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is a position that you come into when you say yes to Jesus. Sanctification is a journey to become like him that you begin on that day. Well, sometimes it even begins before that as God brings conviction to us. And it's an ongoing process of human becoming. And so he says here in the agony, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. How many of you ever felt like that as a Christian? Because you, why am I still so dumb? Why am I still doing this stuff, this addiction that I have? I ask myself, I say to friends, I don't know how many of you have ever done preaching and said a dumb thing from the pulpit. Why did I say that? I mean, my wife, she speaks to me in signs, you know. She's not here today. She said, one more point. And as I get, she speaks in signs and I have wonders. So, uh, so I, I, just, I was remembering last night that one time, some years ago, it might have been quite a while ago, uh, they had brought out a new, you know, they're always looking for things to celebrate in this world, and they brought out National Cleavage Day. How many of you can remember that? <laughs> I mean, come on. Eh? <laughs> I've got the size of wonders going on here. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, this is crazy. What's the world coming to? I said, I said to people, unthinkingly, have you ever heard of anything as titillating as that? <laughs> and I realized what I said, you know. Oh, come on, man. Grace. Eh? Grace, yeah. So what a wretched man I am, he says in verse 24. Who will rescue me? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to say something. Jesus, although there are principles of our salvation that affect our justification, there's a person in our salvation that, that enables us, our, our sanctification. When you come to Jesus, you're not just coming to a principle, a new contract. That, there, that is there. It is there. But it's much, much more. And it's inscribed with his shed blood. But he, can't, you, he walks with you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And he walks with us in newness and we become like him. So he says, um, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he, he admits this, that I've, I've come to him. Let me, let me t- give you two quick biblical stories. Zacchaeus in this little town of Jericho down there in the bottom uh, at the entrance to the Red Sea, sorry, the Dead Sea. And um, he's a tax collector living in this business town, and people hate him, uh, and that's still quite common today. So but in that day in particular, the way that a tax collector could get his pay, he was allowed, it was, he was given an invitation to state capture. He could take whatever portion he wanted from the tax, as long as he gave uh, to Caesar what had to go to Caesar. And he could charge whatever he wanted for tax. And so he, he would inflate it. And he, he captured the tax system, basically. And uh, uh, Jesus comes to that town. And Jesus calls him out of his tree and says to him, and this is the kindness of God. He, Jesus initiates a friendship with a guy that is probably the most despised of the whole town. 
and initiates a friendship with him and says, I'm coming to have a meal with you. It's a Hebrew way of showing friendship. I'll come and eat your food. And so he comes into his house. I want to see what happens in that, in that house. We don't know what the conversation was about, but we do know what people were talking about outside the house. They're looking in the windows and they say, how can Jesus be the Messiah? How can he be so holy if you can't even see that this is a skabanga he's eating with? Why is he going into the house of a sinner? But something happened that day in that house that caused Zacchaeus to stand up. He was captured by kindness. The acceptance of God, the grace of God engaged him. There's truth in grace. I'm telling you this because we have conversations in city church leadership and um, there are those amongst us that believe your members should be sin-free. In fact, I remember years ago, a guy coming to me just after I'd come into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and loving the Scriptures, and he said to me, there's a baptism I want you to receive from God. It'll, it'll cause you to be sinless. You'll never sin again. And it's an anointing that God's going to give you that you'll never sin again. And I nearly fell for it. Sometimes it's like these little pranks you can get sometimes on social media, you know. But the reality is, and there are those that believe that if you sin after you've been baptized, then there's no forgiveness. You go straight to hell. You know what the early church people did in the first two centuries who believed that, that doctrine? They then delayed getting baptized until just before they were going to die. So there was no chance of, of uh, messing up my baptismal purity, you know. <laughs> um, but, but you see, baptism is initiation, not graduation. It's how we start. We start with identifying with Christ, and we begin the journey by His presence into a newness that is revolution. So Zacchaeus stands up, having been captured by kindness, and he says, Lord, half my goods I'm going to give away. Generosity was the outcome instead of the sin. He began to operate in a different life from what he, he came with. He came with stinginess, me first, me only. I'm going to take, take, take. And, and today we still symbolize that generosity when we tithe, when we bring one-tenth or whatever we receive, that God's kindness gave us the capacity uh, to, to make a profit, to receive inheritance, or sell a house, or whatever the case might be, and we can bring that. The kindness of God captures Zacchaeus that day, and, and besides that, he, he fell in love with the Word of God, and he, he remembered in Scripture that if you cheat, you must pay back, and he said, I'm going to pay back four times as much, and he made restitution that day. You see, we're talking about a, a consecration that is committed to restitution, making right. God help us with that. Titus 2.12 says that the, the kindness of God, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The, the grace of God. Titus 2.12. And that's what they found in Asbury. You know, uh, they were having some amazing time. About 16 days pre-meeting, it went on after a, a student assembly. Some About 19 students decided to stay behind. You can hear more of the story on the 16th of August if you come to that meeting. And, and they stayed and they prayed and they worshipped God. And the Spirit came and they, and they did that for 16 days, morning, noon, and night, throughout, ongoing. And, uh, and then someone would pick up a guitar and start leading some worship. And others, uh, professional worship people heard about this. They offered to come and help them to lead the worship. They said, no, 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 this is not about professionalism. This is not about musicality. This is about uh, the heart, about consecration. And, and they were just... In humility, bringing themselves before God. Consecration is a key. And every revival on the planet, if you go and study church history, you'll see again and again, revivals, the key to revival, personal uh, and church-wise and national, is always consecration, yielding, yielding to God. 
as we yield to him, he takes over. As we yield the members of our body, as we yield ourselves to him. So Zacchaeus yielded that day, and he was changed. I think of another time, they're sitting uh, on the hillside in Galilee, it overlooks uh, uh, the, the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and, uh, and, and Jesus is teaching. And after long teachings, uh, they were hungry, and, and uh, the disciples were told by Jesus, hey, give them something to eat. And, and all they could find was a little boy with a little basket from his mom, packed for him five loaves, little barista cooks if he was a South African, and uh, two fish. And uh, he took this and, and offered it. He, he offered what he had. And what happened as a result of his consecration? Remember that? Miracle came. 5,000 men besides women and children were fed out of the consecration of a little boy's picnic, stand, picnic basket. The consecration of what you carry. Now, some of you have been in difficult places uh, in your personal life and, and there's stuff going on that uh, you think, how can I ever get free of this? I'm telling you, consecration is the key. It's as simple as that. What you give to God, God will take it, multiply it, and use it for so much good. So much good. So, consecration is inspired by grace. It comes incrementally in steps, as we are steps of obedience in Acts 3 and again in Acts 5. They speak of. Uh, the times of refreshing had come from the presence of the Lord, and he gives his spirit to those who obey him, who consecrate to him, who consecrate their, their way to him. He gives his, his presence and his spirit to them. So every revival comes on the back of consecration. I just feel like God wants us to you know, plan for revival. And it's not about just putting up banners, uh, revival at Fountain Vineyard, but, but becoming that, eh? As we lean into consecration, we'll see God doing things that will blow our minds. Eh? Change situations, businesses, personal lives, marriages, church. So much is going to change. So much. And we'll bear fruit to God. It's all about letting Jesus be Lord. That's all I want to share today. It's about consecration. Consecration. Let's pray. We welcome your Holy Spirit, Lord. You're the one that leads us and you reveal truth to us. You put your finger on areas of our lives that uh, are uh, deficient. And you lead us in hope for change. And we thank you for that. Thank you that the call to consecration is a call for good news. And you give us the gift of repentance and forgiveness. It's not a a law-based thing, but a gift of your grace, because staying as we are is too hard, too broken. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come. Speak to us. I feel the Lord this morning wants to uh, deal with a number of things in our lives. Uh, right now, I just feel like he wants us to bring the secret places of our lives to him. Things that others don't even know about where there's been some toxicity because of secret brokenness, secret despair, secret that are hurtful to God and break his heart. And the secrecy can be toxic. God wants us to be able to live in truth. And if you're here today, I'm not going to expose you, but will you do business with God? 
Will you bring your secrecy to him? Will you allow him to engage you with his light and his love like he did with Zacchaeus? And will you let him take what you have and turn it to good? I'll say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, come, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I just wanted to pray that with our heads bowed because I, we want to be gentle and respectful for people who've got toxic secrets. And I want to encourage you, if you're one of those people, why don't you make sure before this day is out, you find a safe person to whom you can make confession of that. Would you do that? Confession is, is God's tool, his channel for us to receive uh, forgiveness and cleansing. He wants to do that for us. But uh, there's a few other things I feel the Lord wants us to pray about together. Um, and I, I'd like us to do that uh, uh, just up front. That we we, we uh, do it openly, transparently. But I... Um, uh, yeah, I'm 68 this uh, this year. Can you believe it? I know I look like 38, but I can't help it. It's one of those things. <laughs> but the Lord has stirred my heart finally. I'm, I'm a late bloomer uh, to really encourage people to go into the second half of life fruitfully. Life's not over till the fat lady sings, as they say, hey? Last night over to the very, very end, till you draw breath. And God wants us to, to pray for people who are uh, embracing the second half of life with some levels of trepidation and concern. And uh, the national statistics are that only about 5% of our population have any level of adequacy when it comes to retirement. I know we don't want to retire in, uh, because you don't find the word in the Bible, but you need to change from positional leadership or positional engagement to employment to informal or entrepreneurial or whatever. And that change can can sometimes be daunting because there's inadequacy involved. Maybe there's been passivity or lack of planning or whatever it might have been. But I want to pray for people who, uh, who are in that second half of life and feel challenged by it. Maybe you're already there. And I'm saying second half because you can decide whether it's you or not. <laughs> I'm not putting it on anybody. Uh, you, you know, uh, I feel like God, God wants to minister to you today. He wants to give you hope for your future. And the primary thing he wants to give you, he wants to stir up your quest for a legacy, for significance, that your life counts until you draw your last breath. I've been the deathbed of a number of people over the long years, and I've seen people die well. I've seen a man that I led to Christ die with his arms raised and saying, Jesus, dropped his head. What a joy that was. His wife and daughter were with me when he passed. What a joy. This man just, just into the arms of Jesus as his arms fell down. And he breathed his loss, and he came home to his Savior. What a wonderful way to go. So I know that there's a need for us to know Jesus deeply, personally, if we're going to live life well. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a tendency amongst us to, to live haggard by fear, haggard by anxiety, and, and stuff that's destructive around our lives, never being healed. So just, just right up front, I want to pray for anybody who's finding the second half of life more daunting than you thought, more daunting than you want it to be, and you want God to give an anointing of His presence that you can, you can aim to have significance and good legacy and finish well. Would you stand for me right now? If you're heading into your second half of life, Ida, you better stand, girl. I mean, she's 85 this year. I guess that's her second half. 88, sorry, Ida. Yeah. 
aging is, is not for cowards. Eh? I said to the Lord, Lord, whatever you leave me with, I'll serve you with. I mean, as parts of your body fall, fall away in terms of capacity, if you know what I'm saying, you know. Lord, help me. But whatever you leave me with, I'll, I'll use it to serve you until my hands also drop and I say, thank you, Jesus. Those who are seated, just turn and raise your hands towards those who are standing. We're going to bless them now. We're going to bless you and give you an expectation of blessing as you're heading. You're heading into the most blessed season. Psalm 92, 14 says that the righteous will still bear fruit in old age. Okay? They will be fat and flourishing, says the King James Version, or evergreen, as we say. God bless these people with the expectation of good, of blessing, of breakthrough, of your provision, miracle after miracle after miracle. God wants you to awaken to the miraculous. It's not the same old, same old anymore. The Lord's going to give you new friends. He's going to lead you in new places. He's going to lead you to lay your life down in certain areas because He's called you to courageous testimony. And some of you, some of you may give your lives for Christ even in a physical sense as you surrender yourselves for the purposes of God. And God wants you to also know that your homes are going to be places of much love and, and support for others who are struggling through the adolescent years and the early years. God wants your home. And I've been so blessed having elderly people that have mentored me over long years. I'm so grateful for that, and especially in the younger years. And Lord, I pray for these homes. Bless these homes. Bless their finances, Lord. Give them an expectation of provision that you are the God whose name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. May they know that of a certainty. And I pray, Lord, for stories of your miraculous provision like loaves and fishes. We want stories like that, Lord, coming out of you providing miraculously when they, they go to the, the pantry cupboard and there's still food and they don't know why they thought they ate the last loaf last week. But it's there. And God, you're providing in Jesus' name. So bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. If you receive that prayer, just say amen and sit down. I want to pray for some other people this morning. <clears throat> I want to pray for young people, Joshua generation. Uh, I'm not going to put an age on it, eh? <laughs> but you're all going to stand. I know you guys. But I do want to pray for people who, who definitely are in that first, uh, first segment of life which you are uh, in youthfulness. And, uh, and you know there's a long road ahead of you still. And you're a, uh, a youthful Joshua generation. You haven't had the full weight of all the adult responsibilities that come uh, as you bear children and as you go through career challenges and aging challenges, eh? Uh, you know, I used to have long hair down in my back here, down my waist. I, I remember a girl coming to the meeting when I said, Sir, are you Jesus? Because I had hair like they have him in the pictures. But you can see I don't have it anymore, but it's in my heart. It's in my heart. My hair's still long in my heart, eh? Yeah. And I used to have bell bottoms, eh? Do you remember those, Steve? Remember the bell bottoms we used to wear? Yeah, the long ones. I, we put a wedge in the side. You're like, okay. I've got a picture I'll show you sometime. One of my favorite jeans was a jeans with tiger stripes. <laughs> anyway, the, the fun of being young, hey? If, you, if you're young, I'm talking somewhere 25, 30 under. Why don't you stand for me right now? I want, you to, I want to pray for you this morning. If you're in that kind of first three decades or thereabouts of, of life, uh, I feel like God wants to invite you to a new trust in Him. Okay, your brothers are from Bloomfield and are standing too. Uh, now that you're standing, I'm going to ask you to, if, if, you, if you're willing to, to, uh, to be a leader in your generation, to rise up as a Joshua, not just a follower, and you, and you feel like, Lord, I'm willing for this. I'm willing to step out and be a trendsetter, not one who just follows the trends. 
You want to be one who, who establishes pioneering directions. I want you to come out of your seat and just move to the front right now. Would you do that? If you're willing to be, a, you don't have to. You can stay where you are and, and that's fine. But if you're willing to be a trendsetter and be one who will change and challenge the status quo and you want to make a difference to your generation and the people that, that are in this uh, challenging season of, of life in our world with all its stuff, I want you to come front, and then I'm, I'm going to ask you, I mean, once, you, once you are in the front, I want you to turn around and face the people, because they're going to pray for you right now. Would you turn around and face these people? Church, reach out your hands towards them. If some of you want to, some of you want to come and lay hands on them, you're welcome to do that. But Lord, we want to pray for these people. Some of you out there, some of you seated, just come and pick one, man. And just come and bless them. Just say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you. I bless what you, who you are. I bless what you carry. I bless what you're becoming. I bless your courage. I pray that over every one of you. Hector and the angel, I pray for you. God bless you, my brother. God bless every one of you. Just bless them. Bless what God's doing in their lives. Uh, we need more prayers. Just come and bless them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a sign of, of um, multi-generational church as we, we see what God's going to do through young lives. Young lives matter. Young lives matter. Bless them. Bless them, Lord. Bless them with courage. Bless them with ingenuity, entrepreneurship, freshness. Save them from the ravages of sin. Break every addiction, especially pure addiction. Give them the courage to be different. Dare to be different. Don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not taken captive by peer pressure. You influence the peers. You lead them. And where you are right now, the Lord would say where you are right now is by God's divine initiative and appointing. What He's doing in your life is the work of His Spirit to bring about significance. Your life will count, will be poured out, and many will be blessed because of the people that you are and you're becoming. We bless you all. We bless you. You know, when we use that word bless, God registers at that. He registers that word for that person. And blessing will flow. Bless their relationships. If any of them are, 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 are yearning to be married, may God lead them to the right partners and to the right levels of maturity. If any of them are married, may God give them grace to manage those challenging early years. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you, we bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you finish blessing them, just hug on them, love on them. Love is such a gift. And we live in a world that doesn't love enough. They lust. Our world lusts. But the gospel, Jesus, brings us to a, a world of love. If you've been blessed, you're free to take your seat. I want to just pray about one or two other things that, that uh, the Lord put on my heart early this morning. I do want to just pray this morning uh, also for those who, uh, and I'm not going to ask you to stand because I don't want to embarrass you, 
But uh, those who have control issues, you find it difficult to let people be different from you and you want them to conform to your expectations. You know, you know someone that thinks like that, don't you, huh? <laughs> don't look at her or him. But control is is a a leftover of the fall in in Genesis 3, as I said earlier this morning. Control is a leftover of the fall. God wants to set us free from there. If that's you, just quietly put your hands in front of you where you sit. I want to pray for that addiction to be broken. Father, I pray right now that wherever there's evidence of the fall lingering because we, we don't have the grace to allow people around us to grow in relationship to you, we want to make them become what we want them to be. I pray for a release of grace. Would you displace the control with grace? Learn, Lord, help them to learn to love the unlovely and to love on people that are different from them. And a husband, a wife, a child. It's not easy, eh? It's not easy. But grace makes it possible. Grace makes it possible. Consecrate yourself to be a man or a woman of grace. And if there's any other addiction in this room, I don't want us to leave this place without realizing that the gospel we proclaimed this morning is a gospel that breaks every addiction, not just to the sins, but even to the addictions of behaviors and substances. If there's any marijuana in this house that is mind-altering substance and you're using it for recreational purposes, God wants to set you free of that because your mind has been taken captive. Colleen and I have been in ministry a long time now. We're in our 48th year. I want to say to you, we've never seen good come from it. Now, if you're, if you're under the guidance of a medical professional, I'll, I'll hold back my, my, my perception on that. But just to say we've never seen good from, from the use of marijuana. nor for the lubrication of alcohol when it it becomes supposedly necessary to keep our mood up. Watch out for the addictions in these things. And the addictions may be other things, maybe other substances, maybe even just the quantity of food that we eat. Maybe our lifestyle. I wasn't joking when I said, you know, we've got to learn to start our day making our bed and having a cold shower. We've got to awaken to a readiness to receive the gospel and consecrate ourselves to that. I was saying to the young people, and I'll say it again by the poolside, when you're getting baptized, you're enlisting. It's, it's, it's inauguration. It's initiation into the, the, the army, the warfare of God against the world of darkness. That's what it's about. I mean, it's just not a walk on California beach. This is an engagement in the warfare of God. So any addiction, I ask you not to leave this place today without, without coming for prayer, for the breaking of all addictions. We want to have... A, Jesus says, when the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Free from the need of, to be in control. Free from every substance. And if there is any drugs in this house today, I'm going to ask you to come and, and put it in my bo- it's a little basket here on the side. Just come and put it in my basket. I'm going to burn it into a nice fire. We make a fire there. We'll burn the drugs. If you've got any stolen cash, return it before tonight's finished. Before today's over. If you've stolen anything, go make right. Follow Zacchaeus. Do what he did. If you've been living with stinginess, just become generous. Find a neighbor you can give something to. We, we, generosity Month has come up. We say we would give away anything that we're not using, except you can't give away your kids, your wives, husbands. Not that. Yeah. So 
I just want to make a call for the breaking of addictions and let's pull down every demonic stronghold and we cast it away from our lives. The last thing I want to just pray for this morning. These are days of challenge for Christian leadership. And ongoingly, uh, we want leaders who, who will lead with the right heart, who want to, who are willing to, and will pay the price of being a tall tree that catches the wind. And being in leadership can be like that. You're catching the wind and you've got to your roots deep into Jesus' soil. You've got to know him. You've got to keep knowing him because he empowers you to be in leadership. And I'm concerned that uh, as God adds more people, we need more people who rise up and help us lead those that are coming so we can keep being forward in momentum for uh, uh, the inbreak of God's kingdom on our planet. If you're in that place where you're saying, Lord, maybe not, not, not now, but I'm willing to be taught by you. I'm willing to be groomed towards eldership. I'll serve in whatever ministry capacity. And bear in mind, a ministry is not something that you're given. It's something that your gift makes room for. It's like water coming out of a mountain. You don't go and carve the riverbed first. The water will come out the mountain and it will make its way. You, the, your gift is the water. The way that is made is the, the ministry that results from your gift. Your gift will make room for you. Don't come, and we've had this before, say, I, I feel called, I'm gifted to be a youth leader. And you never raise more than three people in discipleship. I'm saying, let your gift make room for you. Let it make room. And then we'll call it what it is. And by the way, we won't go around giving it a title. We'll just acknowledge it and make space for it and encourage it. That makes sense. Eh? Let your gift loose. Let your gift make room for you. We've seen that with some of our connect group leaders. Those that are doing it with a passion and their gift is being released in pastoral care. Those groups are flourishing and they're multiplying. They've got visionary capacity. If you have visionary capacity, the, the ministry of uh, visionary uh, entrepreneurship will flow. You'll, you'll have anticipation. You'll see things before others do. And you'll be ahead. You will have had your shower when others are still rubbing sleep out of their eyes. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I'm going to make a, a call that I'm not sure if I'll have anybody come up here. And I don't mind, except I do hope that we will. Uh, but I'm trusting God for this. But I think the Lord is calling me to call people to leadership equipping, leadership training. If it's not for now, but you're willing to engage with God in the process of uh, stepping towards leadership, whether it's to come up and lead churches, plant churches. Uh, I say this also, let's just acknowledge it. On the back of, we just said goodbye to David and Sarah Skevington recently. And, and they've moved across to the new wine vineyard. And we, we trust they're going to be blessed there. And the Stansbury's will be blessed having them on their team. But it does leave us with some ambivalence. We have some grief because they were beloved by us. And we still love them. But they're not amongst us now. But we also recognize that, uh, that on the other end, there's a celebration of opportunities. Because now there's spaces for others to rise up. So in the context of that opportunism, I'm saying if you feel called to commit to the process of being trained uh, to leadership, starting small, little steps, moving bigger, looking after the monkeys, then getting baboons and getting gorillas. Eh? If you're willing for, to, uh, to head towards that road of gorilla caring, would you come up front right here? I want you to stay, I want to pray over you. If you're willing to become a leader and, and engage, whatever that means, you might be a church planter, you might be brought into eldership, uh, and, and it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Because the Bible says, don't appoint a, a, a novice, a new convert to leadership. Why? Because unless you become conceited by the position, this is not position, we're talking about servant leadership. The way up in the kingdom is down in service. Eh? And I know some people are in business 
and, they, and, and it's not wrong being business. It's, it's, it's a God, God thing. But some people, God has called to actually be, make their business the Word of God and the building of His church and His family. And, and so for some of these people, it has to do with that. Some of you have been followers in business, and God's calling you to be raised up as Christian businessmen and women. And you need to step forward for that because we, we've got people that are committed to training you in, in that as well. I know that, uh, and I'm going to ask you guys before you leave here, um, Val, can you do the admin for me? I want you to get all their names. I'm going to take this, this crew very seriously. <laughs> God wants to do something with these people. I want to have your names so I can pray over you week after week. Uh, Val's going to get your names done, and we're going to see what God's going to do in and through your lives. So anyone else that feels they need to respond to the call to be trained towards and involved in Christian leadership, more than you've been. You <clears throat> Just quietly think about that just for a moment. This is a, a moment of consecration for, for leadership. Consecration. So if you've stood, stood up front, just put your hands out in front of you. Would you do that? Just a, It's an act of surrender, of yielding receiving um, and see what God's going to do. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else called to Christian leadership? There's some place that God's preparing you for. He, he says, whom can I send and who will go for us? Who will stand in the gap? There's a gap here. There's a gap there. Who will stand in that gap? Who's been prepared for a gap you haven't yet seen? God wants to orientate and prepare you for a gap that He wants you to now get ready for. The time is coming, says the Lord. If the vision tarries, wait for it. It is yet for an appointed time. Put your hands in front of you coming forward to respond. Now, Lord, we pray your blessing. We pray your blessing on these people. Church, pray, pray with me. Reach out, reach out towards them. Would you do that? Lord, we pray for a, an anointing of grace upon them. I pray that they would fall in love with you so deeply that they would be prepared to go to prison for you. They'd be prepared to lay their lives down to save the lives of others. They'd be involved in missions, and, and uh, whether it's a business mission, church mission, evangelistic mission, but they'd be, they'd be called to be on your campaign for the advance of your kingdom. So we bless you the favor of God, His grace being poured out upon your life. As the early church, before they could go and become an expression of the body of Christ, they needed an anointing of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And it was said of them, great grace was upon them all. And they spoke the word of God with boldness, healed the sick, cast out demons, made courageous decisions, were teachable in all respects. So Lord, we bless these people with that same anointing. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you disturb them till they find their peace in you and in obedience to your call. May they be passionate about following the cloud and the pillar of fire. As you led Israel, would you lead them? Would you lead them to know what it is you've called them to and submit to the processes necessary to be ready for that? Jesus' name. Thank you. Now I want to pray also, Lord, just uh, 
against uh, any fear that they would have. Pray for a new levels of faith to rise. In Jesus' name, any level of fear, put that away. Faith in the, in the love of God who says, I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. I will not change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. soak in what the Lord's doing and bless you to do that. There's no hurry. You can stay all day. Do whatever you need to do. We're going we're gonna to wrap up this, this meeting and go and enjoy some tea and coffee and baptisms outside by the pool and the fellowship of being church. And by the way, church carries on until the last two people say goodbye. The whole thing is church. That makes sense to you. We're a community and we celebrate that. Fellowship is very much part of our meeting to encourage you to make new friends. If you're visiting us today, don't run away. Come and be known. Uh, come and be willing to be known and to know. It's so important, huh? Uh, and if you would be so kind as to fill in a little response slip and help us to, to work with you and to know you, and we'd love to engage with you over the, the weeks to come. God bless you. If I've said anything today that's been a